I'm Stephen Hundley from IUPUI, and this is Leading Improvements in Higher Education, a service of the Assessment Institute in Indianapolis. Our sponsor for this season is Watermark, the largest global provider of educational intelligence software solutions for higher education. This episode discusses themes and trends in enrollment management. Our guests are Boyd Bradshaw, Reggie Hill, and Joan Hope. Boyd is Associate Vice Chancellor and Chief Enrollment Management Officer at IUPUI. Reggie is Vice President of Marketing and Enrollment at the University of the Ozarks. And Joan is Editorial Director at Wiley and, in this capacity, serves as Editor of Enrollment Management Report, a monthly periodical with a national readership. I hope you enjoy our time with Boyd, Reggie, and Joan as we discuss the critical role enrollment management plays on college and university campuses. Again, welcome to Leading Improvements in Higher Education. We have Boyd, Reggie, and Joan with us today, and we're going to be discussing themes and trends in enrollment management. Boyd, Reggie, Joan, welcome to the program. Great to be here. Thank you. Good afternoon. Hi, everybody. Happy to be here also. I'm happy you're all with us as well. And as we begin, we would like to learn a little bit about each of you as individuals and professionals. We'd like to ask you to tell us briefly about your career background, including what you do in your current role. For this question, we will take this in alphabetical order. We'll start with Boyd Bradshaw, followed by Reggie Hill, and then Joan Hope. Boyd. Well, again, thank you, uh, you know, for the opportunity to be here today with you. Uh, I am Boyd Bradshaw, and I am the Associate Vice Chancellor for Enrollment Management and the Chief Enrollment Officer at IUPUI in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I have been working in higher education, uh, particularly in the role of Chief Enrollment Officer for about 20 years. Uh, started in college admissions uh, upon my graduation from college. And, you know, from that point on, you know, really enjoyed the complexities of enrollment. And as enrollment management has, has it, how it has changed over the years, you know, I have even gotten closer to it and have had a lot of experiences at multiple universities, both public and private uh, in my work. And as well as I do some consulting work uh, as well. And so uh, it is exciting to be here and talk about uh, this topic. Uh, It's so important to our future success. Boyd, thank you. Let's now come to Reggie Hill and learn more about his background. Reggie. Thank you. And and like Boyd, you know, I'm excited to be here today. Um, and to follow Boyd, I actually started off in, in, in missions and worked in various aspects of enrollment management, uh, whether it's graduate online and then back to traditional university campus. I've been working in enrollment management since um, I graduated college, so roughly about 16 years. And now I serve as the vice president for marketing and enrollment for university. Ozarks, overseeing admissions, marketing, athletics, uh, student affairs, student success, financial aid, and student accounts. Reggie, thank you for that introduction. Let's also now come to Joan Hope. Joan. Hi, I'm the editorial director of the Professional Development Newsletter Group at John Wiley & Sons Publishing. We publish 33 titles for professionals in specific fields. Um, 13 of them are in our higher ed series, which include Assessment Update, which Stephen edits, and Enrollment Management Report, which is one of the titles I edit. I started in publishing writing for the alumni magazine at my undergraduate university, and I kept writing on the side while I pursued a PhD in English. By the time I graduated, I had realized that my passions were journalism and student success, so I'm very fortunate to be able to combine those by working in higher ed publishing. It's part of Wiley's mission to support and improve higher education. 
Joan, let me stay with you for this next question. And as you were remarking, among other publications at Wiley, you are the editor of Enrollment Management Report. For our listeners who may not be familiar with that periodical, please tell us a little bit about its purpose and audience. So Enrollment Management Report is a monthly publication that focuses on providing advice and best practices for um, professionals in the enrollment management field. So we have articles on admission, financial aid, and retention, and any other topic that might be important to um, enrollment management. And the goal is to provide diverse enough uh, content that anyone in the field could get something from an issue, whether they're the vice president of enrollment management or whether they're a brand new admissions counselor. Um, And our content is based on interviews with people in the field, And also we accept submissions from people in the field and have had some really great um, articles written for us by people in enrollment management. Joan, thank you. And you were mentioning that Enrollment Management Report is part of the Wiley series. And uh, I, as you know, I serve as editor of Assessment Update, a sister publication, if you will, to Enrollment Management Report. And I invite our listeners to visit assessmentinstitute.iupui.com dot edu, where they can link to both assessment update and enrollment management report. Reggie, uh, you mentioned at the outset that you are with the University of the Ozarks. Could you please describe for us that institution, including what makes it unique? How do you go about marketing the University of the Ozarks to prospective students? Reggie. Absolutely. University of Ozarks is a 187-year-old institution nestled in the foothill of the Ozark Mountains, uh, rooted in the Presbyterian tradition. Uh, We're a small school that encourages uh, and empowers students to kind of live a full life, to live a full life. We serve students from uh, most counties throughout Arkansas, 32 states in the United States, and 20 countries throughout the world. So we are a globally, regionally, and nationally diverse campus. 33 plus percent of our students come from Arkansas in the Arkansas River Valley, and 30% of our students come from outside of our borders. So uh, we are a historically white institution where 52% of our population are people of color. And how do we market our institution? I, I think we have a personal relationship, not only with our primary, secondary, and tertiary markets, that allows us to do a lot of programmatic recruitment. Reggie, thank you. You're describing a very unique type of institution in the University of the Ozarks. And Boyd, a similar question to you. Tell us about IEPUI. And, and in fact, um, I, since I work there, I feel compelled to spell that out for our listeners. Uh, IEPUI is Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. That's IEPUI. So Boyd, what are some of IEPUI's unique features and how do you explain such a complex institution to prospective students? Boyd. Thank you, Stephen. And as, as Reggie mentioned, he talked more about years. You know, IUPUI has only been around for 50 plus years. We actually celebrated our 50th year anniversary uh, right prior to the pandemic. Uh, and, you know, IUPUI, as, as you mentioned, uh, Indiana University, Purdue Uni- University, Indianapolis, it's a handful to say, number one. But number two, what does it actually mean? How can you be Indiana University, Purdue University at the same time? And that's truly what we are. We offer degrees from both Indiana University and Purdue University. The Indiana side uh, is more business um, uh, side of the house um, and health sciences. And the Purdue side is really more of the engineering, technology, and science. And between both of those two great universities, students can come to IUPUI and receive that degree. We have over 30,000 students on our campus uh, between us in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and also in Columbus, Indiana. And that's a lot of students. And, you know, we have the other thing that's probably one of our biggest challenges for the work that we do is trying to navigate that many students through 550 degree programs. Uh, And looking across the country, you know, there's a lot of universities and there's a lot of degree programs. But I would say for us, having all those housed within one university 
is quite challenging. So one of the, the biggest things and challenges that we have is really trying to help students navigate from the time of initial interest to the time of enrollment, uh, all the different opportunities that they do have. We believe we are unique. Uh, we are in you know, the largest city uh, in the state of Indiana. We have a very diverse student population. Uh, about 40% of our students are Pell Grant recipients. Uh, we do have a mission uh, and others uh, to be more diverse, to be more accessible uh, to as many students as possible. So, you know, we, we want to make sure not only we serve the Indianapolis market uh, in the, the underrepresented areas uh, that students come from, but also that we're serving the state of Indiana and then also some of our bordering states as well. So it's a it's a big big piece uh, of the puzzle in trying to get students to navigate who we are and starting with a name uh, is always the first challenge Boyd thanks so much for providing information about IEPUI and, and you mentioned about helping students navigate so Boyd let me ask you to build on what you're describing here yeah you know, there are several thousand colleges and universities in the United States alone and as students are navigating they're making choices they're making choices their parents and other influencers in their lives are helping them make choice why is student choice such an important part of the admissions process how do parents high school teachers counselors, alumni, and others, you know, how do they play a role in influencing why and where a prospective student applies to college? Boyd. Well, I think what you have to start is really talk about the investment of an education in for majority of the students, and even including the parents, the, the college investment is one of the biggest decisions that they're going to make in life at that point in time. And so in our role, working in college admissions and working in higher education, we truly have to understand all the ins and outs of that decision process and understand the different characteristics that students bring to us today. And the stakeholders, uh, which I believe, you know, where your question is, is really looking at, you know, what role do they play in the decision process? And I think for us, Stephen, it's really recognizing who the stakeholder is and how that stakeholder actually has the influence uh, to assist the student in making the decision, whether it's the high school counselor, the guidance counselor, the college counselor, um, or if it's the parent, or if if it's the friend uh, of a friend that's already enrolled at your institution. And that is one of the things that we really work hard with our staff is trying to get an understanding of the role that others play in the process and making sure that we are also giving out information along the way. You know, student behavior uh, through uh, enrollment uh, is something that is not just one thing or the other. There's a lot of unique characteristics of students that go into that decision process. And so really what we try to do is understand that, you know, from a sense of top of the funnel, when a student becomes interested in enrolling, but as they go through, uh, the enrollment process every step of the way, what's that next thing that we need to do to make sure that we are connecting with that student, uh, particularly for not just enrollment, but for successful enrollment. We want to admit and enroll students that are going to be successful. And there's so much that goes into that process. And our stakeholders are really, really important. Boyd, thanks. You're making uh, important points about the investment in higher education and hopefully a sound return on that investment, the role that stakeholders play in affecting and influencing student choice. And I want to ask you a brief follow-up before I come to Reggie. You mentioned something about the funnel, and that's a that's a concept that is used often in enrollment management. Briefly describe what do you mean by the enrollment funnel? The enrollment funnel is really kind of our, our baseline uh, where in which what we do is, you know, when a student becomes interested in our university, you know, we are sending information. We're, we're, we're really doing the things. Our strategies are really to get that student to raise their hand and say, yes, I'm interested. These are the things that I'm interested in. That's more as the top of the funnel. And our strategy in that is to have as many students as possible in the top of the funnel, whether that means going out and buying names of students through uh, our testing agencies, for example, or meeting students at a college fair or hosting 
accepting a student for a campus visit. Uh, this is usually the first contact. Uh, this is a, when the student first responds and they come into that top of the funnel. All the strategies from that point forward is really trying to move that student from one stage to the other. And as a, a university administrator that oversees enrollment management, we are really focused on that conversion rate. You know, how do we make sure that students that raise their hand actually then maybe visit the campus or that they actually apply for admission? Once you apply for admission, what are we doing as a campus to, to get them to actually enroll? The craziest thing about our work, Stephen, is that we don't control much of this. The only thing that we control is the admission decision. We decide whether the student would be admitted to our institution. Many of those other decisions are with the student, if you know what I mean. I think this is a great transition, and I appreciate your, your explaining about the funnel and the conversion process and conversion rates there. Uh, Reggie, let's turn to you. And as we asked Boyd, we'd like to learn from you some of the perspectives you have on what are influencing the behaviors of students as they apply to college. What are the types of programs and services they are seeking? Uh, in other words, what expectations do today's students have of colleges and universities? Reggie. Yeah, thank you. And first, I want to commend Boyd. You know, you speak in my language with your last point. Because, and because of technology, students know more and more about an institution. So we do have very little influence with the exception of offering an, uh, an admission decision. So traditional forms of enrollment marketing and recruitment are not working and will no longer work in the future. And we have to think about, you know, the enrollment cycle as an ecosystem or enrollment management as an ecosystem. And what's important to students when they're deciding where to attend and where to um, play for the next four years um, is, is within, within a system, a community, the labor force, the business community, the social life, the economic development in a region. And students are looking for a particular place and space to live for four years or maybe even eight. So I, I think um, because students are able to get an education everywhere now, whether it's online or um, in their community, that the student experience is more and more important. Reggie, thank you. You're describing enrollment management as an ecosystem where community the labor force, and even the social life influence a lot of student choice and student behavior. Well, Joan, uh, as the editor of Enrollment Management Report, you're, you're listening to Reggie and Boyd describe uh, both their institutions, but also the factors that shape student choice about where to attend college. So, Joan, how does this resonate with you uh, in what you've been covering in Enrollment Management Report? What are some of the themes concerning student choice and expectations of higher education from your perspective? Well, one thing I would note about this is that um, there's a vast amount of variety, not just in the types of colleges and universities that are available, but also in the students who are looking, seeking to enroll. So the biggest group of students who enrolled in higher education right now aren't students who are straight out of high school. They're um, adult students who have um, returned, and, and many of them are um, working full-time. They have families. They have a lot of other things going on. So the way they make choices might be different than the way you know, a 17-year-old looking to move onto a campus uh, would make decisions. You know, um, They're looking at a little bit different factors. But the two themes that I'm hearing a lot um, from different enrollment managers I talk to um, are that, um, number one, with the cost of college today, which has risen more than any other uh, thing you can pay for, even healthcare, um, students and their parents, if the parents are involved, really want to know what the return on investment is. Um, from, from this. And um, one way that can be useful to talk about that is to um, talk about career services up front as part of the recruitment process um, and to let students know, you know, what might happen if you major in, in this, this degree versus that degree um, and what happens to our graduates. And some colleges have had some good success with recruitment by um, talking about the whole student life cycle from the very beginning. Um, and the other thing that seems 
to be a commonality among what students are looking for is that no matter who they are, they want to go somewhere where they're going to feel like they belong, whether it's an on-campus campus residential experience or whether they're going online, they are going to want um, people in that college community who really care about their success and um, want to get to know them and be their friends and, and promote their academic and future career success. Um, and so colleges can have be really successful with that when they break down what specific groups of students need and meet them where they are, whether those are um, student veterans or adult students with families or um, students of color. Um, there are specific needs those groups might have that um, they want to hear that their needs are going to be met and that somebody is aware of what they're going to be and uh, is really excited to have them come onto campus and, and be successful there. Joan, thanks so much. Well, Reggie, as Joan was remarking in her previous answer, uh, we do serve a variety of students in higher education in the United States. And of course, a principal goal of the higher education sector is to broaden access to attract and admit students who have historically been perhaps underserved by our campuses. Why is increasing the diversity of our student bodies important? In what ways can institutions go about doing so? Reggie. The first point is it's simple. And the second point is a little bit more complicated. But the first point is, is that is mathematically necessary for us to attract historically underserved students to sustain enrollment. You know, it, it's a point um, of social justice, impact and equity. Um, and we know that certain populations are shrinking or not growing. And we know that there's other population that has been historically left behind uh, as a re um, relating to higher education. So for us, education, especially higher education, it has to be a tool for economic and political liberation. And education, especially in this country, has been a path to economic freedom and political participation. So for us and for higher ed leaders, you know, we have to truly think about the Stacey Abrams approach to higher education and enrollment marketing, we have to bring more students into the franchise of higher education, the underserved and underprivileged, um, in order to continue to sustain enrollment growth. Reggie, you're talking about the social justice and equity lens, along with the fiscal reality for institutions and the promise and potential of providing a pathway to economic and political freedom and opportunity. So Boyd, continuing what Reggie has been describing, what are some of the strategies you have either used yourself or you have observed to help increase student diversity on our campuses? How can colleges and universities create a welcoming and inclusive culture to support all of those students, including those that we've sometimes referred to as the, quote, new majority students that Joan was referencing and, and Reggie has been referencing? Boyd. Well, first, I uh, want to compliment Reggie. He could not have said it any better uh, in regards to social justice and equity. And, you know, the changing demographics have required us to look at this with a really close lens. Uh, we have no other choice, particularly in the work that we do. If we want successful enrollment, we want successful outcomes. We've got to put strategies in place to recruit the student of today. And that's the conversation that, that we have a lot on our campus at IUPUI. What is that student of today? What is the makeup? Where are they? You know, in, in looking at how the demographics are changed, we know which populations are increasing over others. We know what the needs of students are today, what services and wraparound. When I talk about services, talking more about the wraparound services that we offer on our campuses to help students be successful and knowing that before students actually enroll really do help us. And so what we're trying to do from a strategy side, uh, when we think about strategic enrollment management, and this was mentioned a little bit by Joan, it, it, it is the life cycle of the student from the time that they become interested to the time that they graduate and all the various touch points that we have. For us, we are really focused at IUPUI on financial aid, and particularly uh, not just on that need on that merit side, but also for, on the need-based side. 
we know that the costs of higher education are increasing. And we also know that federal programs are not keeping up with those costs. And so each and every year, we're seeing a gap uh, between what actually a student can afford and what they owe becoming uh, greater, greater, and greater. And we also know based on our research and our data that students that have a, a an unmet need uh, of a certain level, uh, for example, which shows that they would, they can't really, you know, they'd have to find a loan in order to cover that difference, that they that higher that level, you know, the more likely they're not going to succeed and they're going to be hard to retain. And so we have put a lot of effort uh, into our financial aid. Uh, the way we do that uh, is we we have designed programs targeted to specific students. We award need-based type aid uh, for these students. And then what we do is then we then assign different types of uh, services uh, to make sure that the students getting the things that they need in order to be successful. For example, tutoring or attending the writing lab, being assigned a mentor. And, and what we are doing is we're investing in that student by providing the aid. The student is investing in us by saying that we're, I'm going to do the things that are going to help me be successful. And it is really a, a two-way street when you look at it from that lens. And so that is just one strategy uh, that we're really looking at because, you know, cost is something. And although it, whether a student can afford or can't afford the institution, they don't ever go into it saying that, you know, I'm going to spend the money. I'm investing in my future. They don't go into it thinking that they're not going to be able to afford at the end of the day and not be able to graduate because they couldn't pay the bills. And it's our job, I think, once we make the decision to admit a student that we do everything we can to ensure that they're successful. And that is even on the financial aid side. Boyd, thank you. You're describing, you know, meeting the needs of today's students with resources, both financial aid and programming and other services to support these students. From your vantage point, Joan, as editor of Enrollment Management Report, what are some examples or strategies you have covered concerning increasing the diversity of the student body on college and university campuses? One thing that's happened in this past year, um, is that a number of um, colleges and universities have dropped their standardized testing requirements for admission. And they've had to do that because the students couldn't take the test um, because the testing centers weren't open because of the pandemic. But what they're seeing based on the um, early data on this is that it's really increased the number of um, black and Hispanic students applying to those schools. Um, so that's sort of an indication that 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 some groups of students see standardized testing as a barrier. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward, where the students enroll and what happens to diversity numbers at various schools as a result. But um, schools really need to look at um, what are the barriers that might keep students from looking at their institution or enrolling or being successful. Um, and the main message I've gotten, though, and um, we talked about this, uh, is that you you can address you you can encourage students to enroll and to an apply to apply to your institution, but, but it's really your culture that really makes the difference. Um, students need to feel that they're accepted and celebrated on your campus when they get there, and even from your marketing materials, if they're not really authentic, your students can tell that when they um, look at the, those marketing materials and and get the idea of whether it your college is a place that they really want to spend the next four or more years. Um, and some specific examples of that would be, um, say, students whose sexual identity doesn't match the name and sex on their birth certificate are going to feel more at home if your institution has technology in place so that their preferred name and pronouns show up on their class rosters. And it's possible to do that. Many institutions do. Um, women who enroll in science fields um, need to be able to find women mentors and preferably um, mentors who are on the senior level of faculty and not just, you know, new faculty members. Um, students of color also would need to see and interact with faculty and staff members who look like them and are willing to mentor them and support their success. Um, and that culture change is one of the hardest things that a college can do, but it's one of the most important things. If you really want to be 
a diverse and welcoming community, then you can't, you have to be that. Um, and students will know very quickly when they get on campus, if you're really that, or if, um, or if you're not. So um, that, that's, I think the key is, is culture change. Joan is describing an authentic culture where students are valued and indeed, as she mentioned, celebrated. Also talking about the importance of interrogating and hopefully reducing barriers to enrollment. Uh, Boyd, let me return back to you and ask a follow-up concerning the concept of what you mentioned, strategic enrollment management. And as you were describing, this really takes a more holistic view of enrollment by focusing not only on the admissions process, but also on elements related to retention, student success, and of course, getting students to graduation and beyond. So why is this strategic approach to enrollment management so important? And how can a campus adopt this mindset? Boyd. The most important thing, uh, Stephen, that you mentioned was that word strategic. And I think to many of us now that work in enrollment management, uh, that's the key term, the key word. You know, back in the day when, when enrollment management was coined uh, back in the 80s, it was really looked upon as a recruitment piece of the organization or maybe financial aid. But it has been expanded. You know, Reggie talked about the areas that he oversees. I also oversee the Office of the Registrar uh, in regard, in addition to undergraduate admissions and student financial services, which is our financial aid and scholarships on our campus. And the registrar's role has a huge influence in our work. There's no other group uh, in any institution that has more authority over curriculum, over classes, over how grades are distributed, how diplomas are sent out, then the registrar's office. They're a key element. And there's so much that you can learn from students, not only prior to their enrollment, but as they are enrolled. And I think, you know, that word strategy is how are you using your entire organization, not only your division of enrollment management, which might have some of these key areas, but how are you working across your campus? And it is really more of a collaborative approach. And so when I think about strategic enrollment management, it is life cycle. It is from the beginning to the end, but it is a concept. And you you mentioned the word concept. It's how we plan. How do we make sure that we're doing everything possible to ensure a student's success? It's, of course, the services we provide. We have to make sure we have the various services on campus. But what are those other things? And, you know, one of, you know, one of the things that, you know, Joan was talking about is, you know, those barriers. You know, IUPUI moved uh, recently to test optional. And we actually had moved or were planning on moving to test optional before the actual actual pandemic hit when I mean, most of the country was basically forced, you know, to into more of a test optional environment. I think the advantage that created for us at IUPUI is that we spent a year, a year and a half looking at our research to really look at what are the success factors of students. And what we found is that GPA was as high as a, a success factor than uh, as much as a test score. But we also knew that students that do well on tests you know, they, they are proud of that. And we wanted to make sure that we recognize both the students that do take tests and those that do not. And so part of our process uh, as test optional institution is where we are allowing students to choose one or the other. And then they could also go back and forth uh, in regards to how they do that. Because, you know, it's not really only about, you know, providing uh, the mechanism for a student to show that they can be successful, whether it's by a grade point average or it's by a test score, but making them feel good about their accomplishments. Because if they come into our institution feeling good about all their accomplishments prior, and as we learn more about the student, you know, there's a likelihood that they're going to be more successful because they have that confidence. And, um, you know, I, I think what we're finding is, it, it, you know, as we look at last year's class and then now this year's class, that we're, we're seeing a much um broader scope on the types of students that we're enrolling, a more diverse group, but also a more savvy group with lots more confidence. 
Boyd, thanks so much. You're describing the strategic uh, enrollment management process and in certainly the example you're providing around a test optional or holistic admissions uh, really does require a collaborative approach to that type of uh, shift in the work. Uh, so Reggie, building on what Boyd has been describing concerning this holistic view of enrollment management, in what ways can the entire campus community, and, and here we include faculty, staff, and even students themselves, how can the entire campus play a role in strategic enrollment management? In other words, uh, why is this or why should this be part of everyone's job on campus? Reggie. Absolutely. I really think that we have to get better at using data and technology to determine our gaps and who is more likely to leave. But there has to be a human element to it. And so how are we creating a culture of persistence and retention? So here at University of Ozarks, uh, we look at athletics, admissions, and student life as a part of the enrollment life cycle and the enrollment management process. And I would even argue that from grounds to landscaping to facilities to campus security should all be a part of the enrollment and retention process, Um, not just academic and student success teams. Uh, But we have to call it for what it is, right? So if a business loses 20 to 30 percent of this business in a fiscal year, it's considered a failure. Uh, But in higher education, we look at those students as vulnerable and risky. So I really think that we have to change the language and mindset around retention and persistence um, and create a culture of persistence and retention um, at our institutions. Reggie, thank you. Uh, You, Joan, and Boyd are all talking about the importance of culture, collaboration. You mentioned data, technology elements, and the human connection are all very important ingredients to create this student-centered culture focused on retention and persistence. Let's turn our attention now to what has been occupying a lot of our time for uh, the last year, at the time of the recording of this episode, certainly. Uh, Joan, we'd like to learn from you what you've been hearing from leaders and practitioners on college and university campuses concerning their various responses to, yes, what we're talking about, the COVID-19 pandemic. From an enrollment management perspective, what are some lessons learned from these challenging times? And what do you see as some future trends? Joan. The main thing I'm hearing is that um, the COVID-19 pandemic has really highlighted some things that um, people knew were working already and some trends that were already starting to happen. Um, For example, um, over the past year, um, students like everybody else has been have been hit really hard by the pandemic and have had a lot going on. And um, a lot of the people I've spoken with have talked about how uh, flexible and hands-on approach has been really helpful for dealing with that. Um, And the colleges that were already in touch with what was happening with their students in a fairly personal way found it easier to do that. Um, For example, um, last spring when um, colleges and universities suddenly went online and students were trying to adjust to that, um, a lot of colleges and universities went to pass-fail grading um, because students were, were struggling um, with the changes. Um, and a lot of them have continued to encourage faculty members to, to make deadlines flexible um, for when students are either ill or have ill family members or job loss. Um, colleges have responded to students with really um, direct aid say, in the form of um, grant programs uh, for emergency financial assistance, or in some cases, um, forgiveness of bursar balances, um, and some places have have provided uh, loaner laptops and even Wi-Fi hotspots to students who um, needed those as their circumstances have changed, and that's really helped keep students retained. Um, Another um, lesson that I'm hearing from people is that they're finding that some of the online tools they're using work better than they expected, um, particularly for um, admissions and recruitment. Um, we've recently interviewed an admissions director at a small liberal arts college in, in New York who commented that 
She had never before spoken to so many prospective students in rural South Dakota and had no idea there would be so much interest there. But because normally the admissions counselors would visit cities or in suburban areas, and that's not a place they had typically traveled to. But online, you don't have the limitations of geography in terms of reaching out to people. Um, and in, just in terms of enrollment trends, the pandemic has spotlighted some of those. I'm just going to mention three that I think it's um, really brought um, some interest to. Um, one is that um, this past fall, enrollment was down um, across the country. And based on the early data, there were the students who were hardest hit by that, the ones who just didn't show up at all were largely students who were um, low income and students of color. So we're talking about diversity and how to um, make a more diverse campus before. And there's a lot of work to do there. And the pandemic has really pointed out how much work there is to do based on the fact that um, some students were so badly affected by the pandemic that they just couldn't enroll. Um, So as we recover from this, that's one area that enrollment managers are going to need to focus. Um, A second trend has to do with international student enrollment. And it's sort of on an obvious level, international students um, had difficulty um, enrolling in the United States because of travel restrictions. Um, But that's, it's not new to see a decline in international enrollment. Well, I mean, the total numbers have gone up, but the market share of international students in the United States has been declining for a decade or more um, because other other countries have really worked hard to get those students to enroll. And um, our last presidential administration didn't really um, help colleges and universities make the United States look like a particularly welcoming place. Um, so that might that part, aspect of it might be getting better now. So those, going forward, there will still be international students to enroll, but enrollment managers are going to need to rethink their strategies on how to do um, international student enrollment and going to have to work pretty hard at that. And the third trend, I think that the pandemic has um, brought made more and in, brought more into focus is uh, online programs and education. And, you know, last spring, everybody went online and um, there are a lot of students and faculty members who are very eager to get into the classroom again. But there are also some who've discovered that online working, online education is working really well for them who might not have considered that before. So I think that's going to be a growing uh, area of enrollment for a lot of colleges um, to attract students to their online programs. Um, There are a lot of advantages to it. Um, Students with disabilities, for example, uh, find the tools in uh, online learning to be um, very helpful in making the content accessible. So um, I think that even if students are in the classroom, the universities will use their learning management systems more effectively going forward, having learned how those tools work. So, um, and there are a lot of other things that have gone on with the pandemic that are going to continue, but I think those are some of the most important ones. Joan, I appreciate you outlining uh, some responsiveness to the pandemic and also highlighting future trends. And I would invite listeners to consult Enrollment Management Report for all of these trends and themes. And Enrollment Management Report is accessible through our website, assessmentinstitute.iupui.edu. So Reggie, let's turn the attention to your institution, the University of the Ozarks. How have you all been responding to the COVID-19 pandemic? How has the pandemic affected enrollment? What are some of your lessons learned? And what future trends do you anticipate? Reggie. Yeah, uh, so we decided to stay open um, during the pandemic and uh, that everyone didn't agree with that decision. But here's my rationale and my argument for remaining open or at least uh, bringing students back to campus um, in the fall. One, it was about socioeconomics. There are some students who just couldn't go home. 
But if higher education's role is to train, teach, inspire students to meet the pressing challenges of our generation, then going home wasn't an option. Um, we needed them to share in the sacrifice to be able to um, push through the pandemic. So for us, um, this was a lesson, an exercise, and how do we get through um, a world, a global, uh, a national crisis? One of the things that we did is that we very quickly mobilized to create um, a reopening plan. Uh, it was a sort of a, a micro strategic plan uh, to how the year would go, um, best case, worst case scenario. Uh, one of the things that really helped was technology, um, Salesforce, and we were able to transform Salesforce into this contact tracing tool that we could uh, develop a web around the student who may have been either symptomatic or COVID positive. Uh, that truly helped us um, navigate um, COVID-19 on campus. Also, COVID-19's impact uh, on enrollment was significant, but it uh, had a minimal impact on our growth. We actually grew. U of O was one of the few universities or one of the only universities in Arkansas that actually um, grew, but it did slow our growth in terms of our enrollment projection. You know, over the last um, five to seven years, we have grown roughly about 43%. It slowed that growth in terms of reading, reaching an enrollment milestone for the institution. But what we did learn is students decided to stay close to home. Uh, and as Joan uh, mentioned, there were immigration challenges. And, you know, what higher education um, should understand that historically higher education is slow moving. Uh, and now we have to be a little bit more agile, uh, a little bit more fluid and be able to pivot uh, for the next economic crisis or pandemic or whatever crisis we may go through in the future. Reggie, thank you. Uh Similarly, Boyd, you've been hearing what Joan and Reggie have been describing. So how has the pandemic affected your enrollment management work at IUPUI? What do you see as lessons learned, including future trends? Boyd. Well, first, I want to say congratulations to Reggie for a, a successful enrollment year. I, I would say that it's been the biggest challenge for all of us. Uh, in the work that we do during the pandemic. And, you know, we enrolled our classes very differently than in prior years. And, you know, one of the, the things uh, that I wanted to focus on a little bit more here is it's really more on that student retention side. And particularly uh, at IUPUI, uh, we acted quickly. Uh, you know, we knew uh, there was a group of students on our campus that were going to be going into uh, an online environment for the very first time. And I mean, it was happening across the country, as we know, but also happening with the students that we were recruiting. But the one thing that I think was different is we could impact our own students uh, in a much more uh, targeted way than those students that were prospective students. So we actually shifted our thinking. And I wouldn't say we pulled away from recruiting students, but we put more focus on the continuing students. And one of the things that we did, which I think uh, is, is a really a congratulations to everyone that participated, is that our faculty and staff reached out to every single student that was enrolled at IUPUI with a phone call to find out how they were doing, how were they coping with the pandemic. And what we saw during the year of a pandemic is an actually increase in our retention rate from the prior year. And I think that personal touch, uh, and that was just one example of that, that we instilled throughout the process was a key component. Uh, as Reggie, we also use Salesforce and we incorporated things in Salesforce we've never had done before, including contract, you know, contact tracing uh, as well, more from an enterprise level than anything. But we did utilize technology much greater than we ever have. Uh, on campus. But what we're finding uh, as we move forward, and I think, you know, the lesson learned and what the future holds for us is that we are going to have students, prospective students, as well as enrolled students wanting to meet us in different places. Some are going to want to continue in the virtual environment. Some are going to want to be more face-to-face. -face. So now what we are now challenged to do as we move forward is to have strategies in place, mechanisms in place, platforms, technologies, 
that impact both. And I think that is going to be the biggest change for us uh, as we move forward. Mass customization, using data to inform decisions, but maintaining the human personal touch. Boyd, thanks so much. As we draw our time together to a close, let me ask each of you to leave our listeners with a final thought. We'll first ask Reggie Hill for this, followed by Boyd Bradshaw, and conclude with Joan Hope. Reggie. So, Stephen, I'm I'm an enrollment marketer at heart. So I'll say this is that we have to get super comfortable with data, become amazing storytellers and and just be creative. Uh, We want to inspire students to be a part of our community. Reggie Hill from the University of the Ozarks. Thanks for that final thought. Now to IEPY's Boyd Bradshaw. David, I, I really think it goes back to that question about strategic enrollment management. We have to become more strategic. We have to become more innovative and more creative uh, to really meet the needs of the students today. And that is something that really starts with good planning. And so if there's anything that I would say that's more important than another is really that planning piece that can help us be successful. And as Reggie mentioned, that data element of that uh, is crucial. So understanding data, understanding the needs of our students, and then incorporating that into a more strategic approach is how I would like to conclude my remarks for today. Boyd, thank you. Finally, to Joan Hope for your final thought. Joan. I'd just like to repeat something that, that Reggie talked about so nicely earlier, which is that enrollment management is everybody's job. So whoever's listening to this, um, you're probably working in higher ed, and there's something out there that you can do to make the experience better for students on campus. And um, that's what enrollment management is all about. It's not just getting them there, but it's getting them through to graduation so that they go off and become successful alumni. Wise words from the editor of Enrollment Management Report, Joan Hope. We've been speaking with Joan, Boyd, and Reggie, all about themes and trends in enrollment management. Joan, Boyd, Reggie, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Leading Improvements in Higher Education, a service of the Assessment Institute in Indianapolis. Learn more and access other episodes at our website, assessmentinstitute.iupui.edu. Our sponsor for this season is Watermark, the largest global provider of educational intelligence software solutions for higher education. Learn more at watermarkinsights.com. Our podcast producers are Chad Beckner, Caleb Keith, and Shirley Yorger, with original music composed by Caleb Keith. If you know someone who might enjoy the podcast, please encourage them to give us a listen. We appreciate you helping to spread the word. I'm Stephen Hundley from IUPUI, inviting you to join us again for Leading Improvements in Higher Education.